2: You are listening to Absent-Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com.
0: Hello and welcome to the number four pod. It's unfortunate it is number four, but we got a very special guest. It's the Caviar Diplomat. It's our favorite guest, and actually your favorite guest as well, uh, concerning the amount of feedback we get from when Gillian Kemmerer is on the pod, and we have her here to discuss none other than Alexander Romanov. He's number four on the list. He's number one on our hearts. But Gillian, I can't express enough how happy I am to have you here again. Thank you.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. And even if we're on podcast number four, you guys are my number one podcast in my heart. So... It's a good day to be talking about Romanov, especially with you.
0: And uh, for once, it's not just Gillian and me speaking about the the Russian kid, the Tsar, the married man. But we are joined (laughs) by uh, Anton Rossegård, who is (laughs) residing in Wales, the two Londoners. There are two Londoners here, Anton, and, and you're in Wales.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, ba- basically, just—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm a mainstay, so you can't get rid of me on, on the pod anymore. So I just—I just show up like a jack in the box for every episode nowadays.
0: And for those who doesn't know, Jillian obviously went to the same university as me in London. So, not—not not the LSE one. That's a really bad one. But she went to UCL. <laughs>
1: just smacking down my master's degree thank you very much i'm gonna
0: hang up now this is nice some of my best friends went to you to LSE, and i count you in there now now um, as well gillian so so uh, well we always say that next time the champagne is on me i don't know who starts and who finishes next time but it's going to be a a champagne bath i think more or less Um, i think so too But we're here not to discuss Champagne, not to discuss Russian poetry, not to discuss where we used to go to university, but to discuss our favorite Russian the last two years, Alexander Romanov. He will go directly into Montreal. We have been a little bit uncertain about it. Uh, There's been discussions back and forth, what will happen, can he go back to to KHL, does he have an out clause, etc., etc., but the way the Montreal Canadiens crew and front office are talking about Romanov, there is no chance he plays anywhere else but Montreal for the foreseeable future. And I'm like, they could probably offer him the way they speak about him. They could probably offer him an extension to his contract right now.
1: Well, I personally think he owes some of his success and his hype to us. So if he'd like to throw us any piece of his bonus our way, that would be great. We'd
0: we'll, we'll certainly appreciate it. And not Anton though. He's in Wales. But but <laughs> but what makes Romanov that kind of player, that, that, that they haven't spoken about P.K. Subban this way, they haven't spoken about any other defender this way, not even when they signed Shea Weber, they spoke about defender in this glowing terms. And he hasn't even played one game in of NHL hockey yet. What is the secret behind Alexander Romanov?
1: Well, aside from the phenomenal name that he has, which just sort of cinches him in, in the record books for me, if you're Alexander Romanov, you better play like a czar. And he has shown us some glimmers of of just absolutely impressive play at both ends of the ice. And I think part of the allure of Romanov is that it's not a simple story. It's not one that you just look at his Red Army record and you say, OK, I understand this defenseman through and through. In fact, his playing time was kind of limited. Our our observation window was limited. So when you put together his time at SESCA, as well as his World Juniors performances, you start to get a picture of a very well-rounded defenseman who I've always said was intelligent and reads forwards beyond his years, who has this gritty physicality that is atypical, for a Russian defenseman. And I think what is really special about Romanov is that aside from the fact he comes from hockey royalty, which I think is something we should talk about at some point in this podcast, um, he's been counseled wisely and he's made the decision to come over sooner than your average defenseman or even your average Russian. And I think you know, for many Russians, 22, 23 is the sweet spot. Romanov comes over a little bit sooner. He's prepared to continue his development in North America. And I think, honestly, and and I, I share this view with Valerie Brogan, who was his World Juniors coach, he plays too North American of a style to remain in his homeland. It's time for him to come over. And I'm very excited to hear that from what you're observing in and around the Montreal Canadiens, that he's likely to be brought to Montreal instead of being sent down to Laval and is going to be making um, waves sooner than later, because I do think this is a kid that performs under pressure. So he's one of those kids that I would say, throw him to the big show, see what happens.
0: You mentioned the hockey royalty and, and obviously uh, his father and his grandfather is the story there, but he has a phenomenal skating. That is something that he has worked on. I mean, like he's, he's skating forward, backwards, sideways. His edge work is is crazy when you look at it. Uh, and how much is that, do you think, down to the fact that he has grown up more or less in locker rooms, on the ice, with players that has had some... I mean, like there are some storied names in those locker rooms where he has been running around as a kid.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, funny story about this. Um, Yuri Karmanov was a Red Army goaltender that backed up Vladislav Tretiak. Uh, and later became the manager of Red Army when uh, Tikhanov was the head coach. And so he's been around everyone. He's been coached by Tarasov. He's been side-by-side with Tikhanov. And he's very close, obviously, with Romanov's family, because Romanov's family are Russian hockey royalty, as is Karmanov. And he was telling me that he remembers watching Alexander as a kid. And he was playing initially as a forward, and he remembers Saying to uh, Romanov's father, and I don't know if we can completely put down Romanov's decision to become a defenseman on this conversation, but as it was told to me, he said, Look at the way your son skates. He has to be a defenseman. He wasn't, you know, maybe at that time he was so young, he wasn't producing to a point that they said, Okay, he has to be, you know, the future center of the Montreal Canadiens. But his skating ability, even from when he was very young, set him apart from his peers and definitely began to ignite some of the interest and moving him to the blue line. What I like to see about Romanov is that, aside from the fact that obviously he is a very strong skater, he is starting to train with two Russian defensemen with whom he's either been compared or with whom you know he's going to gather a lot of intel in terms of not only succeeding in the NHL, winning Stanley Cups. So if you look at at Instagram, and I've been monitoring it pretty closely because it's been fun to watch, um, Mikhail Sargashov, the reigning Stanley Cup champion, and Dima Orlov have been training with Romanov at Art Hockey, which is a very prestigious, well-known school for NHL and KHL players. He's been drilling with them, skating, practicing, you know, any number of the details of his game. And so I think to myself, this is a kid who is fanatic about improving. And that's something that even his World Juniors coach, Valerie Bragan, said about him.
0: There is so much to take away from this uh, segment. I'm just going to start with the fact that I could have backed up Tretyak because he would never be taken off. It was very easy. (laughs) But, but, but on the other hand, Treczak is my god as well, but, but it's very interesting because one of the other guys that we just spoken about in the previous pod, he started out as a centerman as well and now plays defender, competing for the same spot as Romanov in a few years down the line, Matthias Norlander, and he says that his understanding of the game is so much better due to the fact that he used to play center. Do you think that Romanov says the same thing, or or was it too early when he made that change?
1: I'm not 100% certain when he made the shift over to defenseman. It sounds like he was quite young, but there are so many factors that could have gone into the fact that Romanov has such incredible hockey sense. And I... I can't stress this enough. It's his intelligence that has impressed me more than anything else. And I, I think you get better glimpses of that at the World Juniors than you do at, say, a SCA, although we definitely got some nice snapshots of him playing for Red Army, but once again, limited playing minutes. And at the time, a boy playing against men when he was with his own age group, when he was competing against guys that were of similar size, stature, experience, he just couldn't be stopped. He looked phenomenal. Um, But I think part of his hockey sense comes from the fact that he is absolutely fanatic about improving. Rogan said that of him in an interview right after the world juniors. And then they interviewed Romanov and they basically were like, Alexander, you know, are you satisfied with your play? Are you satisfied with your own game and how you played in Ostrava?" And he, quoted Pavel Datsuk. He said, if you're satisfied with your game, then it's time for you to stop. And this is a, 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 definitely something that's been backed up, I think, by what he's done and, and what he continues to do in terms of his training, in terms of his constantly seeking out other Russian defensemen. I saw that he not only was training with those guys on the ice, but they were at Sanduni, which is a really famous Russian banya where you like go and rent this really sumptuous room and hang out. It's a really popular thing to do in Moscow. So he's spending tons of time with other Russian defensemen and working with them. And I think all of this in combination with the fact that he grew up with a grandfather who's one of the most successful Russian hockey coaches in recent history, all of it would have contributed to his hockey IQ and his hockey sense. And I think he not only has it on the ice, but he has it embedded in his DNA. And it's really fun to watch because for someone his age, I'm always surprised at the manner in which he can read a forward.
2: I was just thinking, uh, I mean, back, if we look back in 2018 when the Montreal Canadiens drafted him 38th overall, everyone was shocked. No one knew really who Alexander Romanov was, and it was really an off-the-board pick. Um, now here we sit with him at number four on our on one of the best top 25 under 25 lists we've probably ever had with a, with a deep prospect pool. And there are even arguments that Alexander Romanov should be even higher uh, there were several who had him at number three. Uh, Stefan Seventy even had him at number one. And I'm just wondering, since he was completely unknown in North America when he was drafted, as a Russian hockey expert, how much did you know of Alexander Romanov before the draft, considering his um, his family and everything? Did you know anything about him before 18?
1: Alexander Romanov came more onto our radars after 2018, if only because it took a very long time for us to see him establish himself within Red Army and to gain playing minutes. The thing about Red Army is that on all Russian teams, it's a given that if you're young, it's going to be very difficult for you uh, to break through the lines, whether we're talking about moving from MHL to VHL, VHL to KHL, but at Red Army, it's even more so. There's a definite hesitance with youth. A lot of times with these players, when they get drafted, it goes one of two ways. On one hand, maybe they start to get more responsibility, more playing time. It's this vote of confidence that their coaches kind of take into account, or they start to get punished. And with Romanov, I actually think it was a little bit of both. Of course, we knew who he was. Of course, we knew of him and we knew of his lineage. I mean, everyone's excited in Russia about hockey dynasties. For example, Alexei Kovalev's son Nikita is playing in the MHL right now. It's his first season playing in Russian juniors, and there's a lot of attention on that. So in Russia, there's a lot of. Um, we of all respect know that Ovechkin's son
0: is already scoring like 500 goals a season.
1: I know. And how old is he? Like four? It's terrifying. <laughs> He's a better stick handler than some of the guys I see in the cage all day in and day out. Um, But Romanov, because of his background, he was automatically going to be on radars. But I feel like his two back-to-back world juniors are what solidified him in my mind, because that was the clearest and most obvious opportunity we had to observe him unbroken. So for me, the world juniors are what sealed the deal. We knew he was there. We knew he was sitting on one of the best teams in one of the best locker rooms and organizations in the KHL. But I think his international experience is what began to move the needle, for me at least.
0: For me, it was really the fact that he he, he got that spot on Sesca on, on arguably the best team outside um, NHL. And I think that even if it was low minutes, I was watching every game, uh, and and obviously being a huge fan of russian hockey it was it was like being a kid again and, and seeing the russian play from, from from the 80s for me but I think that you could follow the trend you saw that when they played ska when they played um automobilist and and uh, who who else was it the first year that was really really good um he got lower minutes but when it came to the easier team then they put him out there to really learn. And I, and it's, as you say, um, that it was a little bit of both. He got punished sometimes, but also they couldn't hold him back. More More probably also because he was that good. And I remember reading that article, uh, I forgot by whom at the KHL.ru site that you write for as well, Jillian, uh, that uh, he speaks with his grandfather after every game. You, you mentioned that. The time you 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 stop improving, then it's time to 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 call it a career, uh, as Datsuk said. But it's is that is a drive that. In my mind, it doesn't matter which sport you play or, or, or what you go into. When you start doing that, if it's research, if it's if it's carpentry or or, or sports, you're gonna succeed. When you look into Ab- yourself. Absolutely and 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 searching for that extra motivation searching for that extra knowledge you're always going to succeed and that is that is something that I'm really curious to see how has I I've, I've spoken with him his english was limited about a year ago in february in stockholm but the, the the really interesting thing for me will be how can he handle the english media because he's going to be in the spotlight in montreal and the french the French yeah. you just get away with a smile, so it's fine. All right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that, I mean, good for him if he can get by the uh, the Montreal tabloids just with a smile. I know that that the media is tough everywhere, but in Montreal it can be. I know it can be suffocating. I remember talking to Alexei Kovalev about that a long time ago. Um, but it's funny. I mean, he comes from, as you said, this this incredible family. Um, his grandfather, actually, interestingly enough, um, he's. He was the coach of Akbar's Kazan when they won the Gagarin Cup. And a season later, it's his grandson hoisting it with Red Army, and it's the first time that Red Army had won the Gagarin Cup um, since the fall of the Soviet Union. And to have been a fundamental part of that team uh, was so special. To have been a part of of that particular championship run when Red Army had actually been disposed of many times before uh, in the playoffs, including by his grandfather and Akbar's Kazan. It's, it's really kind of amazing what the one season did for both Seyska and for Romanov, because that season that they won, they had to win it. There was no question. They had Sorokin, they had Kaprizov, they had Romanov, they had Grigorenka, they had Nestorov, And it was kind of the unspoken acknowledgement that if they didn't do it then, would they ever do it? Because we didn't know at the time how long we would have Sorokin and Kaprizov. They wound up playing another season in Russia, and there was hopes that they would repeat. But the pressure on that Red Army team to finally get it done was immense. And Romanov had a great season. He was part of that Gagarin Cup championship win. He takes the trophy straight out of his grandfather's hands, which is kind of fun to think about. And and it's just it's really a special moment for both Red Army and for him. But if you think about the height of pressure in the KHL, Russian media is pretty tough, too. Um, Russian media tends to lead in the negative I remember reading a question that uh, they asked him it was like so you didn't produce as much offensively at the second world juniors as you did at the first so like you know why didn't your offensive game click or why didn't it work and he was like but I only scored two fewer points and I limited my mistakes and I focused on the team game I mean he answered it really intelligently but they led with this sort of they always lead with the punch, right? So it was interesting to see how he handled that. And he handled it very intelligently. Maybe the language barrier will will serve as a little bit of a benefit in terms of some insulation from that. But he is someone who is used to being in the spotlight, both because of his family and the team he played on. And he's used to being under a lot of pressure because Red Army had to get it done the year that they got it done.
0: You mentioned the production and and the offensive production. And in light, would you just told the listeners we also have to mention that his first KHL goal, goal obviously came against bars with his <laughs> grandfather in, in in the opposing corner and and I mean like not even Pushkin could have written that any better
1: yeah it's beautiful yeah you can't you can't make it up um he's an unbelievable coach and and has just a fantastic track record so if he were my grandfather and i were playing hockey i would certainly be calling him every night so it's good to know that romanov is is taking advantage of just the font of knowledge that's sitting in his family tree
2: i'm just thinking yeah we know that he recently got married to his uh well high school sweetheart or i mean however young they were when they got together he's still only 20 going on 21 um But now coming over to North America, it's a whole other thing, obviously, as we've talked about the language barrier and and uh, once again, being one of the youngest on the team. And now he doesn't have uh, the safety net of being, you know, hockey royalty anymore um, in the same way as he did in Russia, obviously. And I'm just thinking, like, do you think he's mature enough to go in and perform during a rookie season in the NHL or will he need a bit of sheltering before he finds his way? It, is he confident enough to just go in and, and click in, the, uh, in, a, in a foreign league like that?
1: In my opinion, confidence has never been his problem, at least as it plays out on the ice. He's always displayed a level of confidence um, that's allowed him to perform on both ends. But in terms of making that transition, and everyone hates it when I say this, but it's true, it's really hard to predict how a player handles walking into an NHL locker room. Um, You can have the most bulletproof record in the KHL. You could have a Gagarin Cup and an Olympic championship. Vadim Shepachev, perfect example. There isn't a single player in the KHL that hasn't said to me when I've asked them who's the toughest forward you've defended against, who's the toughest sniper you've ever had to go against if I'm talking to a goaltender. Shepachev, Shepachev, Shepachev. He's so brilliant. His passing skills are over the moon. He's incredibly intelligent. He's the brains of his line he flamed out in the NHL. And some of that was down to Shepachev and his own ability to adjust. And some of it was down to his organization. I think Montreal has invested enough in this kid that we're not going to have to worry about the organization. They still have, in my opinion, a duty and level of due diligence that they have to do. Because I think if you look at a a draft pick as an investment, you don't just throw the money into the investment and walk away. If you or an investor on Wall Street, you know, you put a somebody on the board, you monitor them every quarter, you monitor them monthly, you keep getting feedback. So I would imagine that Montreal is going to treat him that way, but it's going to be up to Romanov. And I have a feeling that given that he has such a strong hockey family, he will be OK, because a lot of times with young kids and Vitali Kraftsov at the New York Rangers was a good example of this, they don't have proper expectations set for them. They don't know really what goes on in North America. They don't understand that they may have to slog it out in the AHL. though it sounds like we don't think Romanov is going to have to do that, but his grandfather has spent time in the NHL. Um, his father is an agent, so he's counseling players all the time about this transition. Romanov will have had expectations set. He's had to play for a high-pressure environment. He's had like a long run in the postseason. He's had to deal with a lot of the things that maybe other young Russian players haven't had the opportunity to deal with, and he has resources that they don't have at their disposal. So I am definitely hopeful for him to make a very solid and smooth transition. But unfortunately, we had never seen him, right, just picked up and plopped in another community with a new language, new coaches, new teammates. But I do have a strong feeling that if anyone could weather it, this is a kid who could.
0: Is this feeling also due to the fact that... Um Roman was part of the of the group that played during the the uh, playoffs in Montreal. Uh, he was part of the team. Obviously, Montreal themselves will have observed him, see how he worked with the other guys, how much English he was confident in, etc., etc. And as we have seen, and as we always sort of expected, Kovalchuk hasn't come back. They're putting a lot of stock into this guy and not surrounding him maybe with another Russian player, an old-time player that has the experience, that has the know-how. And we know that has been important for other teams to to succeed with Russians, that you you build a little bit of Russian community and they work it out and and they they come out there stronger maybe than the sum of the parts. But here, this extended camp, maybe we should say, during the playoffs, certainly seemed to have helped Romanov partly in adjustment with Canadians, but also the Canadians' confidence in him.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you on that. That was such an awesome opportunity for guys like him and even Elias Woken at the Islanders to get to know everyone. It it was a high pressure environment for his teammates, but it was a low pressure environment for him in a sense. So he got to really see how things work. Now, of course, bubble life and regular life are very different and he'll experience that. And I'm sure it will be an improvement being in an open Montreal, fingers crossed um, and in and around his teammates and settled. But I think that opportunity, at least for Sorokin, and I spoke directly with with Islanders' ownership about him um, right around the time that they were competing in the conference finals, they were saying he really ingratiated himself. He was playing in the ping-pong tournament. He was taking English lessons. Romanov is a kid that seems to constantly be seeking out Mentorship and friendship. I mean, just looking at him training with Sergeyev and with Orlov, it, it really makes me happy to see that he's seeking out NHLers who can give him a sense of, of what to expect. So I think that the bubble situation for him was probably the best thing that could have happened to him because he really got a sense of what that team in that locker room is like. And I don't think many players ever have an opportunity like that ahead of having to actually get on the ice and produce.
2: No, that that is obviously something they thought of as well. That it was important to get him over, and uh, that it didn't matter if they had to burn a year of his rookie con- rookie deal. Uh, that was just more important that he came over, and I th- maybe it had something to do with that as well. That well, perhaps w- well, we had the thought process of bringing Kovalchuk back, but now maybe that won't happen, and then it's more important for Romanov to to be, acclim- uh, well, to just. Uh, make the adjustment earlier and just know what to expect from montreal and i'm just thinking of we've heard a lot of the young defensemen talk very highly of shea weber and his leadership on the back end and in the team as a captain and just um, teaching professionalism. If you see uh, Romanov as that guy who seeks a mentor and every everything, Shea Weber must be kind of the ultimate mentor in the NHL for a young defenseman with a similar playing style, physicality, and everything that Romanov has.
1: He couldn't have asked for better, right? He he wound up in a place with not only an organization that seems fully prepared to support him and to do what it takes to, to make him succeed, as we saw from their invitation to the bubble and everything else. But, I mean, Shea Weber, it really doesn't get better than that in terms of someone that he can model some of the details of his game off of. And, and that's another reason why I think it was so special for him to come over at such a young age. Romanov is still very much in development phase. Um, he's very young for a Russian player to come over. If we look at Kaprizov, Sorokin, Shostyorkin, they came over older. Um, but Romanov has similar accolades to them um, because he achieved faster. He rose the ranks younger. He happened to be a part of that Red Army team, a combination of both his own effort and also luck and timing. Of course, you you always have to think about luck and timing when it comes to winning a title um, and whether or not you're on that team as a youngster. But he was a contributor to it. He, I think he's someone that's really going to benefit from being in that locker room. And I like what I've seen from the organization. That's always big to me because everyone usually puts the onus on the player and I think that that's correct to some extent but you have to put some of the onus on the organization to adjust them and I don't know what the decision making went into with Ilya Kovalchuk always been someone that uh, raises a little bit of drama or questions when it comes to is he going to be there is he not going to be there will he won't he but you know whether or not he was in that decision making process the fact that they brought him over with the bubble and the fact that they were willing to burn off a little bit of that, that contract to get him there. I think that shows a degree of investment that definitely uh, gives me good hope and, and good feelings going into the first season that Romanov's going to be playing in the NHL.
0: He looks set to play the full season with, um, with the Montreal Canadiens. You, you mentioned he's young. He still has the pedigree. What are, realistically, the expectations a fan and, and the media should have on on a young defender like this going forward?
1: I think for me when I look at a player his age and especially a defenseman when they develop um, a little bit later than let's say your your average player, your average forward, it's going to be about progress and not perfection. Does he demonstrate progress over the course of the season? There are little details of his game that he's going to have to acclimate to. You cannot say that there's no adjustment for a defenseman coming from the KHL to the NHL. He's used to playing a very systematic, very defensively-minded game with uh, Igor Nikitin. When he went to World Juniors, we already started to see a bit of a thaw in that. And some people say that it's because of Igor Larionov's presence on the bench that we saw a little bit more offensive freedom, a little bit more improvisation out of the team Last World Juniors, but now this World Juniors with Igor at the helm, you're going to see a very different style of hockey, much more reminiscent of the Soviet great teams of the 80s with puck possession and a lot of uh, opportunity for improvisation. Romanov is going to be stepping out of that heavily systemic, systematic uh, defensive mindset that Igor Nikitin absolutely drills into his players. And he's going to have the opportunity to participate in offense. I do think that that's something that the World Juniors highlighted that his club. A record did not and I think when he gets a few more opportunities there we might see some flashes of brilliance from him early we know that that's what he wants we know that's how he wants to play so if they give him the opportunity to play like that and again because that's his desire and because it matches with North America that's why I think this was good timing for him to come over I think we could see some good work out of him um, I, I can't guarantee that the transition is going to happen overnight but I do think this is someone who's hungry and Bragan himself has repeatedly referred to Romanov's interest and and desire to, to succeed as a level of fanaticism. So this is a kid who's going to be on the ice after everyone else is getting off. This is going to be a kid who's constantly asking questions and all of that could serve to speed up his development curve.
0: You mentioned uh, the KHL pedigree and 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 playing in KHL and and the system that uh, Nikitin is really controlled uh, and and I've spoken with some of the Swedish players on, on uh, SESCA and they always said that what people don't understand is that SESCA is also like almost a national team of a combined European team or, or, or combined European countries. And that is interesting. But it's also, so, so the fact that it really took a spot there is, is really, really fantastic at that age. But then you look at it as well and everyone is always saying this when you come to, to adjusting into North America. It's the ring size, but in KHL, you have different ring sizes.
1: That's right. Um, And Red Army plays on a hybrid size, which is somewhere between Olympic and North American. The one thing I will say about ice size is that it is changing and it's normalizing to smaller. And even by 2022, I believe all of the Olympic sized ice sheets will be phased out. And right now I can only off the top of my head, think of one team playing on the Olympic ice sheet this season. Um, because Kuman Red Star traditionally played on the Olympic sheet in Beijing, but they're right now in Mitishi, which plays, I believe, on a hybrid. So he will have been a part of a KHL that was normalizing to smaller ice. When he played St. Petersburg, for example, he would have been playing on NHL-sized ice. So I think there is an element of transition that is involved with coming over to the NHL and playing strictly on the smaller ice, especially for defensemen. Um, You know, these are guys that are used to Uh, Well, I don't know, actually. I think on one level, his level of physicality didn't really change with the size of ice that he was playing on. He's someone who's always gravitated gravitated toward a more physical, aggressive game. So on some level, I think his transition will be mitigated. But yes, he changed ice sizes night in and night out in the KHL. But I also think that, that given his style of play, he was probably better suited to the smaller ice. So he might even look at it as a sense of comfort when he comes over to the NHL. It's the goaltenders that always scare me with that, if only because they're used to having to adjust their angles on a, a night-by-night basis. Um, Shostyorkin proved that he was able to do it quickly, but Shasturkin played on North American-sized ice um, at St. At Petersburg. Sorokin, it'll be interesting to see how he adjusts. But again, he was at Red Army. Red Army plays on the hybrid. So it's not like you're going from Olympic to North American. He did have some experience on slightly smaller sheets, including the North American size.
0: Yeah, I've spoken with a lot of North American players coming over to play defense in, in uh, Sweden, in SHL, and they always say that it's tougher to go from a smaller rink to a wider rink because you're going to get drawn into the corners and suddenly you're way off from where you thought you were. And, and mm-hmm. it should really be easier to go for a defender the other way around.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of I was talking to Reed Boucher, who is a scoring machine in the AHL, went over to Avangard Omsk and has quickly become a scoring machine in the KHL. And he was like, I was throwing away pucks all the time, thinking I didn't have time to make the play, but because of the larger ice surface, I realized I could have hung on just a little bit longer because they're always standing there anticipating the hit. Now Romanoff is going to have that opportunity to flex that aggressiveness and that gritty style that he probably would have been able to flex you know, here and there in the KHL, but that's not really the basis for how defensemen play. Now he comes to North America and it's game on. So I think that he's really well suited to being in North America and being in North America early. I do think there are going to be elements that he has to transition, but also growing up on that larger ice sheet as a defenseman, it forces you to be that much better of a skater Um, So I think that that will only continue to serve him. And we've definitely talked about what a phenomenal skater he is and how that differentiated him from even when he was a kid.
0: We have seen sometimes that, you know, he he uses the stick a little bit aggressively, uh, small cross checks, slaps uh, whenever he can. He is a little bit of a jester in that regard. Uh, And and, uh, do you see him losing his temper at one point or another as well?
1: You know, there were a few elements of his game, particularly at World Juniors, which I just think is such a tough tournament because they know that the spotlight is on them. They know that all eyes are on them where there was a little bit of emotionality playing into things. But he'll get a handle on that fairly quickly. Um, I personally have seen a lot of patience develop in his game over time. Um, He's not taking stupid shots with the same level of frequency he has a hard shot but he didn't have control over it for a while now i'm seeing him pass a bit more like he's maturing for sure and at the age of 20 and and going into these next couple of years he's only going to continue to work on those details but i you know i don't really think he's going to go in and be a hothead because he wasn't a hothead every night night in night out at say a ska. um might there be minor frustrations might there be you know situations here and there especially at the beginning when his nerves are rattling Maybe, um, but in general, I, I don't see it from him. I've always believed that he was a much more confident, mature and intelligent playmaker than what anyone was giving him credit
0: for. Well, looking uh, looking at one thing as well, um, you might want to look at it from the perspective that, you know, the, the season is tough in um, North America with a full Canadian division, it might be even tougher with trans, uh, with with the transition over to East Coast, West Coast, etc., etc., a lot of travel. But first and foremost, summer training in in Seska is not something you do lightly. And second of all, (laughs) in Russia, you travel a lot more.
1: Oh please! He the travel in North America is going to feel like a road trip for for Romanov. Then it's going to feel like an actual, you know, east to west trip. When you think about the trips that he made, Romanov had away games in Beijing, China, from Moscow. He had away games in Habarovsk, in Vladivostok, which are even further east. This is a guy who has played night and day, staying on the same Moscow time zone while he's competing in China or competing in the far east and then throwing the eye shades on hopping on the plane and going back like nothing happened his his dealing with the travel schedule in north america probably lowest on my list in terms of concerns because this is a kid who has had to do some of the toughest hockey travel in the world i really don't think anywhere compares to it um in terms of the the training camp so I think it's a common misconception that NHL and KHL training camps are similar in how they're structured. KHL training camps last two months long for most teams, and it's actually where you go to get in shape, as opposed to showing up for a week already in shape, getting a little bit of practice, and then getting straight on the road for your exhibition games. The KHL training camps are insane. Um, The level of physical conditioning that they do, they skate the crap out of these guys, I've never seen anything like it. If he had been on Dynamo, I would have been telling you about Krikunov tying the tires to the guys and sending them up and down the ice a billion times. I mean, it's really something to behold, the KHL training camp. So whatever they throw at him in Montreal in terms of season preparation, again, might feel like a little bit of a relief potentially from what he's had to go through at Red Army and in the KHL. Um, but in terms of training camp and travel, this is a kid that's that he's been through it, to say the least.
0: And I know Rasmus Dahlin told me last summer that, you know, he was looking a little bit with envy at the, the Frolunda summer training camp as well. And and then I asked him if it was as tough in in uh, in, uh NHL, and he said no. But this is what got <laughs> me to the NHL, so I still miss it.
1: <laughs> well, you know what, too? It makes me happy to see that... Even though we're in technically, I mean, what do you even consider this time period? Given that hockey should be played and it's not, we're like kind of in postseason. Romanov is on the ice with Orlov and Sergachev. Like he's constantly training. He's keeping himself in shape. So, you know, a lot of these guys, you'll see them walk into the Russian training camps. There's this big joke about Team Hartikainen who came to Salavad's training camp and he was like, yeah, it's obvious that I had a few beers in the summer. Ha ha. Like whatever. You see them walk in and then of course they walk out two months later like the Incredible Hulk. He's not taking that approach, nor would I have ever expected him to, but he's he's maintaining himself the way NHLers who are in this unorthodox postseason are maintaining themselves. He's training in the same places as they are. He's spending time with them. So in terms of, again, expectation setting and what he's going to walk into day one, he's surrounded by the right voices and the right experiences. I think he's maintaining himself already the way an NHLer would be expected to going into training camp in the
0: NHL. Is SESCA offering any kind of help much the same way as SHL teams do that they offer the eyes for, for the NHL players that are home. Uh, with that in mind, that they will come back home and maybe win a championship on the return flight, more or less?
1: I haven't seen much of him skating at the old Red Army rink. Um, I would have to have a little bit of a closer look. I know that his hockey school is like a bit away outside of Moscow, the one that he's going to with Orlov. Um, it's called Bart Hockey. Um, I haven't seen too, too much of these guys back on the ice. You do see alumni coming back, getting on the ice with the kids and skating more in a giving back mode. But in terms of whether or not he's training there, I'm not sure. But I have seen, you know, that he's been at the games and that he's been in and around, um, obviously visiting his old teammates and his old coaches. So it wouldn't surprise me. Um, But his training has primarily been focused in a school that's outside of, the Red Army camp and and all of their ice ranks. He's at an independent skill specialist and power skating specialist who works yeah. with a lot of NHL and KHL players. You,
0: you mentioned this, and we go back to it a little bit. But after his first world junior when he got the Defender of of, of the Tournament award, um, and this is this was fantastic to me. You have this intro in in, in Seska where all the old names. It's, it's 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 like Montreal in many ways. You could you get the old guys. In they're still there. They're in the stands. They're watching the games. You get the lights out on the ice. You get their names up there. You get their faces. And there is Tretiak. There is Lariona, There is Krutov. There is Makarov and, and Fetisov and, and, and Tretiak. And I said Tretiak twice because he's so good. But, he deserves it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but anyway, and and there is this kid, 19 years old, just turned 19, I think, and. And he gets the defensive, uh, Defender of the Year award. They make this special case with, with uh, some, some Seska memorabilia. He stands there on the ice, and he is the center of attention. It, it was really yeah. a, a impressive that Seska, the team of history, the team of, of, of the army, uh, they, they had to pick up the litter during the Soviet era years, that they did that for such a kid.
1: Absolutely. they They really did honor him. And what I think is so interesting is that if you look back at World Juniors and you look back um, over the course of Russian participation and and how their defenders have fared, Romanov averaged a point a game for every World Juniors game that he competed in across his entire world Juniors career. The only person who succeeds him in that respect, who earned 15 points in 14 games, is Slava Fetisov. Like, when you think of the context that this kid is in, not just statistically, but growing up in that Red Army system, it's such a, it's such a special place to, to call your hockey home in Russia. Um, he's standing up next to guys like Slava Fetisov in the record books, which is no joke. Um, When it comes to world juniors participation and he's going to a very storied club and he will appreciate that about Montreal. This is a kid who was sort of destined to be in an aura of hockey royalty from day one. Um, He took that opportunity at red army and ran with it. You can't say that he, you know, was dropped in there because he was a red army or he was a, a dynasty player and they wanted to honor his family. You know, maybe you can make the case that that's how he kind of got his foot in the door. But if you look at, for example, Vladislav Tretiak's uh, grandson, who's a goaltender, he's not starting all that often. He didn't last very long at Red Army. He, you know, is in and out of net for Sochi, you know, just registered his first shutout in Sochi. So it's just kind of interesting when you compare it. This isn't a kid who was gifted playing minutes and opportunity because of his name and because of who he was. He had to earn it at Red Army doubly so, Um, and he certainly did earn opportunities and he did make a dent. Now, offensively, in terms of his production, I know that that's not a particularly wowing statistic in terms of what he did at Red Army, but when you consider the style of play, when you consider how he did at World Juniors, when you consider what he would have been focused on, and when you consider the limited playing minutes, you know, there is a really good case to say Romanov had a good run. Um, But you're absolutely right to say it was a huge honour for him to get that award in front of everyone at Red Army. And it it definitely reinforces how special of a player he is to them and and hopefully will be to Montreal.
0: There is something that binds Red Army and Montreal together. And it's the New Year's Eve game, where Mm. after that game, Montreal fell in love with Tretiak. And can we say that it has come full circle and Montreal will fall in love with the Tsar?
1: Well, I think that they will... Do do I think that they're going to fall in love with him after all of this?
0: Yeah, do you?
1: Yeah, I do. I think that if he performs um, at the level that he's expected to, and I have high expectations for him, and he's a kid that thrives on high expectations, so they shouldn't shy away from putting them on his head. Um, If he continues to perform under the pressure that he's performed under and succeeded he's definitely going to endear himself. I think the Montreal Canadiens fans have such a deep respect for hockey history. Um, They have that fascinating history with the Soviets and the Red Army team. I loved that Red Army game. I've watched it a bunch of times and it's always so fascinating that it ended in a tie, but I think the Canadians outshot Red Army by a factor of three or four, which just goes to show you a little bit about that Red Army system and what was so interesting about it. Um, But I, I think that they will appreciate him. They'll appreciate where he came from. And I think if he performs the way he's expected to perform, they're going to have no choice but to embrace him. And and I I really hope that. I don't think they're going to gift him um, attention and love if he shows up and he doesn't do what he's supposed to do, and nor should they. But in the whole package, I think he's got it. He's always struck me as a very humble and nice kid when it comes to dealing with fans in the media. Um, I like the fact that that humility does not translate on the ice. He is very confident and aggressive. Um, there's no reason that he shouldn't endear himself. And I think that Montreal, if any team in the NHL, Montreal really appreciates history. And this kid certainly has it.
2: It's kind of interesting as well, what you, like everything we've talked about with, with Romanov's Um, I mean, obviously his his lineage and everything and how that has probably kind of prepared him in a better way when it comes to like being ready uh, mentally, being ready physically at a younger age. And then we look at other prospects on the top 25 this year. We see guys like Caden Primo, whose uh, father was obviously Keith Primo, who played many years in the NHL. We see uh, Jesper Kotkaniemi, whose dad is a coach and the uh, well-husband in, in Liga. We see uh, Nick Suzuki, whose younger brother is a, for Carolina. We see Caden Gooley and um, H- uh, Kale Fleury, both of their older brothers, play in the league. Jesse Ullinen, his dad, is, you know, a former NHL player. I think that there is something to be said about, like, the last few years Montreal has really... I think that they see something in in these high character guys and just see that they come from uh, perhaps uh, they, they will have an easier time adjusting because they have people around them that know how it's possible to, you know, make make it as far as possible. Um, and Romanov is, is a great example of that. What we've seen from from the draft going forward. Uh, yeah, it's uh, two and a half years of, of basically brilliance.
1: Well, it's funny. I I can give you an analogy in women's hockey. So Alex Carpenter plays in the Russian Women's Hockey League right now. Her father is Bobby Carpenter, the longtime New Jersey Devil, Stanley Cup champion. Um, And her level of professionalism is through the roof. She is untouchable. She leads by action, not by words. She's a leader in every possible sense. She sort of seamlessly integrates into any locker room, into any competitive situation. And when I talked to her, you know, she said to me, I grew up in the car with my dad going to and from practice. I did my homework sitting in the stands watching my dad coach. I was around the game 24 hours a day and I was around professionals 24 hours a day. The transition from youth to professional is enormous. It is absolutely unbelievable how many kids fall off at that critical juncture point. Um, And anyone that has that family connection that will have grown up around professionals like Romanov certainly would have, it does make a difference because they understand what's expected of them. They understand how to conduct themselves. Romanov is clearly well-connected. He's hanging out and around other NHL Russian defenseman, he sees what it takes. And I think the KHL, the NHL transition, professionalism-wise, isn't as big as you would think. I think the KHL to the AHL is a really tough transition because you're used to being treated like a professional on the charter flight and then you're on the buses for 10 hours and this and that and the other. I think that's a tough transition. But KHL, the NHL, he knows what it takes to behave like a professional. And I think a lot of these kids who have those dynasties, who have those voices in their households that can say hey this is what's going to happen and you're going to have to deal with it and you're going to have to put on a brave face you might be sitting in the press box you might get benched this is how you have to treat it this is how you have to behave that will it will serve him immensely just as it will all of the players that you mentioned on that list who come from hockey royalty there's definitely something to be said for that of course they will have had access to types of training and talent and help that maybe others wouldn't have and that is an aid to their development no question but just knowing what it takes to be a professional in the NHL and what the environment in North America is like—that pays dividends.
0: We're here with the caviar diplomat, Gillian Kemmerer. You have there, there is no one with better knowledge in the Western world uh, of, of of KHL. I think it's it's utterly amazing to listen to you. Uh, you have so much information that none other have, and and you deserve all the credit that you're starting to get over in North America as well. Um, You have a World Juniors profile coming out as well about the Russian team?
1: I do. I've been, well, first of all, thank you for the kind words, and I can't speak highly enough of you guys, your organization, the depth that you put into your research. I've been reading your Romanov profile. It's stunning work, Patrick, so congratulations. It's awesome. Um, But I I think the world of you guys and your coverage of the Canadians. In terms of the World Juniors, I think we're going to be picking apart prospects. I always, like, joke that we pick them apart by body parts. It's like... They're skating, their stick handling, their hands, their size, and, and we don't ever really look at them as a person. And so I've gotten this just immense opportunity that I am i couldn't be more grateful for from the KHL to get to know these kids as people ahead of the World Juniors. So I sat down with Rodion Amirov and Shakir Muhammadulin uh, just a couple of days ago to get to know them, uh, publish their interview in English so that a, a, water, a wider audience can get to know them. And we'll be doing more of this in the coming weeks. I'm really looking forward. I can't say just yet, Um, Who else is on the list, but they're going to be some fun conversations. So hopefully you'll uh, enjoy getting to know them as much as I did.
0: You have a newsletter coming out? I
1: do. I have a sub stack. It's called the Caviar Diplomat. Uh, If you sign up, there's a patron sub and I I tell stories, not just about the KHL. I'm a big hockey history nut. So uh, whenever I get access to some of these great Soviet players, like some of the ones you gave me ideas to interview Patrick, which I'll be getting on in the next couple of weeks, um, I tried It's alright. We gave Arpan a,
0: a a a article idea yesterday as well when we recorded another pod.
1: <laughs> Do they they don't pay you enough, Patrick? You're supplying ideas left, right, and center. You should start a business.
0: That, that's from the from the school, London School of Economics. Start a business. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, you can't be giving that away for free. Arpan and I owe you. We owe you champagne, at least. Always.
0: And I owe you so much champagne. So uh, it's as, as I mentioned on Twitter the other day, and you really should follow Jillian uh, Kemmerer on Twitter, it's it's fascinating what, what she publishes. Uh, but whenever we get together, and, and uh, Mrs. Seb is a future Mrs. Seb now that I've proposed uh, for Congratulations. real. Congratulations. Uh, when, when the three of us get together, we could probably order in enough champagne to salvage a small country's BNP for the foreseeable future.
1: I agree with that, and congratulations, Mrs. Zeb sounds like a winner. I saw that cake she baked, I was very, very envious, and I don't think you saved me any.
0: (laughs) No, no, but I'll I'll make sure to to have her make another cake when when you arrive over here. Uh, Anton, thank you for joining us. Jillian. I'm sure the the comment section will be filled with appreciation of your work. We'll put in a a, uh, good uh, link for for them to follow as well. It is a pleasure. We're looking forward to the Tsar arriving. Um, I remember when I when when he took got that Gagarin Cup from the Prince of Moscow to the Tsar of Montreal. I named I named the gift, but yeah, we we might have lost the the general, but we might have gotten something even better in down the line. Uh, we're looking forward to see what alexander romanov can bring to the table this season he is only 20 he has five years more on the or four more years on the list for me it wouldn't be a surprise if he's number one relatively soon maybe even next year thank you guys for listening